So like many of you who grew up in church, I grew up hearing the story of Zacchaeus, right? The man who climbed the tree to see who Jesus was. Uh, it's difficult to uh, hear the name Zacchaeus without hearing the children's tune, uh, the song we learned in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Well, I'll refrain from singing the rest of the song and I won't lead you guys in a sing-along, that's for later, but uh, you think I'm joking, but it's really for later. Um, <laughs> but uh, a few of you will be singing that song throughout the day, just so it gets in your head, it's one of those earworms. Uh, but as I got older and as I studied the scripture, this passage, this narrative became more and more dear to my heart. It became one of my favorites, and I'm enthusiastic about um, sharing, with, uh, sharing with you this morning and taking a look at it more closely. So it's difficult to understand the significance of this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus without really examining who Zacchaeus was. Luke tells us that he is a chief tax collector and rich. So we don't know much more about him. Of course, he was short in stature, that, we get to that later. But we don't know whether he had a wife, whether he had children, whether he was from Jericho or he moved there for work. Uh, we don't know his educational background. The important facts that Luke wants us to know about Zacchaeus is that he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, we see many tax collectors in Scripture, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, either in the parables that Jesus told or in the encounters that he has with them. But we have never encountered a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors in biblical times were looked down upon, right? They were despised by the Jewish people, and here's why, four reasons. One, no one likes to pay, pay money to the government, am I right? Especially, though, back in that time when the government was an oppressive regime as the Roman Empire was in the first century. So secondly, the, the tax collectors were despised by people in the, the, the Bible um, because they were Jews working for the Romans. So they were traitors. They were turncoats, if you will. Um, rather than fighting the Roman oppressors, they joined forces with them and helped them and they enriched themselves in the meantime. Third, it was common knowledge then that the tax collectors cheated the people that they collected. They would collect more than was required of the government and they would keep the extra for themselves. And everyone just understood that that was the way that it worked. And finally, they were despised in the biblical times, because they, because they skimmed off the top, the tax collectors were well-to-do. So that further separated them from the lower class. They were um, helping themselves and they were getting rich, and so the poor were having to support their lavish lifestyle. So the tax collectors were ostracized from society. They kind of formed their own group, their own clique, and they separated themselves from the rest of the Jewish people. So you see, Zacchaeus was not well-liked. He had worked his way up the tax collector ladder, and he was now in charge of many tax collectors. He must have been pretty motivated, motivated by wealth and by greed. Zacchaeus was a hated man because he betrayed his own people, the Jewish people. But like 
tax, most tax collectors. I mean, he was just doing his job, right? Well, and also, like tax collectors of that time, he stole from people. Now, some people in the commentaries I read, they like to, in the sermons I listen to, to kind of be inspired um, by this ser- for this sermon, some people um, compared tax collectors in the Bible with our now today IRS workers. But I, I don't see the similarities because IRS workers are simply doing their job. They are trying to um, help people be honest about paying their taxes to the government. But Zacchaeus and those who worked for him, they were cheaters and they were the ones who were dishonest. They were the ones not only collecting the money for the government, but they were taking some for themselves. And so that is why the crowd criticized Jesus for spending time with these tax, this tax collector. So Luke tells us that on this day, Jesus is passing through the city of Jericho. A couple of things you need to know about Jericho. Jericho is a wealthy city at this time. It's located on the West Bank in the Jordan Valley. And so it was a hub of business activity. It was um, most likely one of the wealthiest cities and had many wealthy families. In fact, Zacchaeus probably had one of the nicest homes in town. Jericho has many roads leading in and out of the city. And so it was a central place for meeting and for um, conducting trade, uh, trading goods. And many people had to pass through Jericho on their way to other cities in the region, such as Jerusalem, which is where Jesus and his disciples were on their way to. Jesus was on his way to the city of Jerusalem, where he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. We read in the previous chapter of Luke chapter 18 that just outside the city, just outside the city walls of Jericho, Jesus encounters a blind man. Now this blind man was sitting on the roadside. He was begging. He needed money. He couldn't see. Again, Jericho had lots of traffic uh, going in and out of the city, so the beggar had strategically positioned himself to get money from as many people as possible. Not unlike, you know, those that we see on the exit ramp of I-75 here in Atlanta uh, with a sign that says, help, I'm hungry. This man was there on the side of the road needing help. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's how he got Jesus's attention. And Jesus went over to the man and saw the man's faith after asking him what he wanted. The blind man regained his sight and he became a follower of Jesus that day. And perhaps this man's shouts of praise and excitement and joy as they entered the city of Jerusalem is what Zacchaeus heard. It's what got Zacchaeus's attention, what piqued his curiosity. We're told in the text that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, it's tempting to describe Zacchaeus as having this deep spiritual desire to know Jesus. But that's not what we see in the text. We have to be careful then to reading scripture, not to insert our own storyline, but to really look and see what is the text saying. But could it have been that this man, this man Zacchaeus was really longing for something more than just wealth and more than just power and therefore seeking God at just the right time? Sure. 
I mean, could it have been that he had this deep felt void in his life that no amount of money or power or prestige could have filled and, and that void is what led him to seek Jesus? Sure, that's possible. But more than likely, Zacchaeus was simply curious. Like you and like I, he saw a crowd and he wanted to get a glimpse of what others were looking at. Reminds me of a time I was on vacation in the Great Smoky Mountains with my family. It was a long weekend in the fall and uh, we were driving around these mountain villages and going in and out of little shops. And we always wanted to keep an eye out for black bears, right? Because they're plentiful in the mountains. And if you could just get a glimpse of one, that would be really exciting. And so I remember when we drove past an, an intersection and there were cars uh, parked on the side of the road and we, we naturally pulled over too because there must be something to look at, right? And so we didn't get out of our cars, but we rolled down our windows. There were some people standing um, on the side of the road looking down into um, the ravine, into the forest. And so we asked, you know, what's everybody looking at? And they said, well, there was a mama bear and her two cubs that had just crossed the road and gone into the woods. And so as a 12-year-old, I thought, oh, this is exciting. I've got to see, I've got to see. But I wasn't allowed out of the car. And um, I was told, just you know, strain your neck, just kind of get a glimpse. Uh, because we wanted to see this, this bear family. I just wanted to see what everyone else saw. And that was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was. But the crowd was a physical obstacle. We're told that he was short in stature, so he couldn't see over everybody's head, and he dared not get in front of the crowd, push his way to the front. So instead, he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now, it would have been a very unusual sight, a very uh, funny sight to see a grown man run through a crowd and climb up a tree. In fact, it would have been a disgraceful sight. Um, grown men would not have run in his time, and nor would they have dared climb a tree. Only little children climb trees, I can imagine. But when you're already shamed by the public, what does it matter? What do you care if they see you running and climbing a tree? And Jesus, being Jesus, certainly didn't take time to consider what others would think of his actions. Because at that time, he stopped and he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. And what's surprising that we see in the text is that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Again, we can speculate, it's not in the text, but we can imagine maybe there were whispers in the crowd uh, of a man up ahead in a tree, kind of an unusual sight. Maybe some of the people in the crowd recognized that it was Zacchaeus, and so they started mumbling his name to one another as people kind of have a habit of doing when they see someone acting dishonorably, right? Rather than confront them and learn the real story what's going on, they gossip and they talk bad about them behind their backs to others. Well, regardless, knowing one's name is personal. It's intimate. So Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. And I wonder, have you ever thought of that in your own life? Consider the fact that God knows your name. He knows every care, every concern you have, he sees you, and he calls you into his presence, just as he called Zacchaeus. 
Notice that Jesus, what Jesus did not say was, Zacchaeus, you're a sinner. You've been ripping people off. You come down here out of that tree so I can give it to you. No, Jesus spoke to this chief tax collector with frankness, but with kindness. Surely with kindness in his voice, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It was urgent. And we're told that Zacchaeus climbed down from that tree, and we're not told how he climbed down. Perhaps he fell out of the tree just in a shock and astonishment. He was amazed that this religious leader, that this famous person would speak to him and request to be his house guest. Zacchaeus hurried down, and he was so happy. He was so excited to welcome Jesus. He seemed to have no hesitation which is another surprising thing in the text, because if you have shame and guilt in your life, you might hesitate to go to God. You might feel afraid that there will be some condemnation or punishment. But Zacchaeus saw it differently. He saw it as an opportunity. This man, Jesus, that everyone's talking about, that everyone's excited about, wants to spend time with me. However, it was those that witnessed this exchange that began to grumble, right? They um, began to talk negatively and criticize Jesus and his actions. I like this translation's use of the word grumble here. Grumble means to complain about something in a bad-tempered way or to make a low grumbling sound. And again, using our imaginations, we, we see them turn to one another and whisper and kind of give them the side eye to, you know, what's this Jesus going to a sinner's house, spending time with this sinner? How quickly the crowd turned from shouts of praise for Jesus healing a poor blind man to whispers of ridicule of Jesus spending time with a rich man. So now the crowd was not just a physical barrier to Zacchaeus seeing Jesus, but it became an emotional or spiritual barrier to Zacchaeus seeing Jesus. There's many surveys in our country asking people the question, why do you no longer attend church? I mean, even people who profess to be Christians are no longer attending worship services on a regular basis. And so there's surveys out there, and some of the surveys that I looked at have found that one of the reasons people offer for not attending church is that they just don't feel welcome in a church. They feel judged or ashamed when they come into the doors of the sanctuary. And so in response to this, many churches have gone above and beyond to try to reach out to people and make them feel at home, make them feel like this is their place. And so they hang banners that say, you are welcome here. Outside, they say, all are welcome. And they project on screens and put up banners and say, you belong here. And certainly, I would hope that they do more than just hang banners, but they really do communicate to people, they belong here. You belong here. I can honestly say that this congregation, Peachtree Christian Church, is one of the friendliest places that I have been. 
I hear from many of you that the reason that you choose to worship here, the reason you've chosen to minister alongside those in this room, is that you feel like that people really want you here, that you feel welcome. You feel like this is a place you belong. So we need to protect ourselves against grumbling and judging anyone who chooses to worship with us and to be a part of our community. We are a community of care after all, regardless of one's background, one's appearance, one's social status. We receive them with love and kindness. We seek to minister with them and alongside them as we grow in our faith in Christ. Jesus chose to be a guest of a sinner. And there's no doubt that Zacchaeus was a sinner in the sense that he lacked morals, right? He lied to people, he deceived people, he used others to get rich. But Zacchaeus was also a sinner in the sense that he lacked relationship. He was missing forgiveness and peace with God, a relationship with God. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. All includes Zacchaeus. All includes those who saw and called him a sinner. All also includes each one of us here today and hearing this message. It seems, though, that most people in Jericho had thought of Zacchaeus as beyond redemption. And we may even be inclined to write him off too, that you know, he was too far gone, he was too bad of a person. But God's salvation extends to all people, not just the religious elite. And so we should never give up on anyone, we should never think anyone to be hopeless. Just a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with some of our youth here at the church, and. They were questioning whether or not God loves the vilest criminals in our society. And they could think of some of the worst people being mass gunmen and serial killers. They thought, surely God could not love them, could he? Now, I didn't pretend to know all about God's love and the extent of God's love, but I told these students that I believe without a doubt that God does love those in our society that we think are the worst of humankind. I assured them that God doesn't approve of the criminal behavior. There are consequences to those actions, but God is good and God loves all whom he created. And it's a difficult truth to believe, to kind of wrap our minds around. And so the students then followed up with this question. They said, then, then what does it matter how we act, right? What does it if God's going to love us anyway, we can act any way we want. Yeah, that's the dilemma of grace. But here in the story of Zacchaeus, his response tells us what our response to forgiveness and grace should be. Zacchaeus repents with his actions. He gives to the poor. He gives back over and above what is required of him. Zacchaeus stood before Jesus with great gratitude in his heart, and it overflowed into his actions. His treatment of others was a response to the grace that God had given him. 
So let's not make the mistake then of thinking that Zacchaeus's action somehow earned him the salvation that Jesus proclaims upon him and his household. No, no, the grace of Christ's presence in Zacchaeus's life and home, that's what brings the, the change in this man's life. The, the man who others had labeled as despicable, he was now kind and generous. Jesus uses this moment to summarize then his purpose on earth. Verse 10 reads, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was among the lost that Jesus sought out. Jesus told Zacchaeus who he was in that moment. He was no longer labeled because of his transgressions, but he was known now as a son of Abraham, a child of God. Jesus told Zacchaeus where he belonged. Zacchaeus now has a place with God, has peace with God, a relationship with God. And so there is another song that we sing about Zacchaeus, perhaps one even more familiar than the children's song that I began my sermon with, one that if you grew up in the church, you may know, and even those outside the church probably are familiar with this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This is the song of Zacchaeus, a wretched man who was found by the Savior. This is our song too, your song and mine. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like Zacchaeus, like you and like me. Amen.